How's the Bride of Christ this morning? One of my favorite things to do is remind the church who she is. That you are the bride. And that makes you beautiful because you are getting prepared to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus. We just sang about that, I think. So all the things that we we go through, we wrestle through, all the, the shaping and molding that happens is preparing us to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus. I will have to say that I have never been introduced in a Rosedale Network church as being from the blue state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, we are going to have to talk, man. <laughs> so, it's really good to be at Turkey Run uh, on a Sunday morning and experience your, your family and your, your community here and... Maybe most of all, that banjo picking, that was awesome. I don't get to hear that everywhere either. Well, I do want to I do want to just uh, mention that, as Mike said, I serve as conference pastor, but I have a lot of other titles that I prefer. I know there's a need for titles and things like that to identify things, but I really love being a husband to Karen for soon be 37 years, right, dear? And a father to two, and a grandfather to six, and I spent a lot of years as a dairy farmer. I love to roam the mountains and chase after things that don't want to be found and all those kinds of things. So those are some of the titles I, I prefer. Um, but I do want to bring you greetings from the Rosedale Network of Churches. Uh, just just a few weeks ago, I was up in in Holmes County. That is that part. That's a different part of Ohio, isn't it? That's like a whole different place, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think they pick banjos up there. But anyway, uh, there was a, a boost conference for um, Christian Christian business people, and actually, where's Caitlin and Stuart back? Somewhere. There they are. We actually met Caitlin and Stewart at a boost conference, I don't know, five or six years ago. And I had no idea that they were connected to Turkey Run, so it's neat to, to see them. But anyway, at that boost, conf- boost conference a couple weeks ago, uh, Diego and Gloria Chavez, I think I'm saying that right, were there from Nicaragua. And they were sharing how about 10 years before they were at a boost conference, and Diego's a coffee farmer in Nicaragua. Anybody know Diego? You know Diego? And they were sharing it that 10 years ago when they were at that Boost conference, uh, literally while they were there, they found out the bank that held the mortgage to their farm went under, and they were about to lose everything they had. And there was seven business people at that conference who by the end of the weekend came up with, I forget how many hundred thousand dollars and became his bank for him. And... When he was back this year up in Holmes County, that Friday, I think, they paid off that final, that final loan. And during that 10 years, with other profits from the farm, they've planted 50 churches in Nicaragua. And now those pastors are starting to ask for training. Uh, it seems like a big stretch for, for RBC, Rosedale Bible College, but, but they've been asked, like, could, is there some way that RBC could contribute that? I say all that to say that's what a Rosedale network of churches looks like. It's, 
it's local and it's global, and it's just because we've been faithful over 110 or 13 years of, of existence and being faithful to mission and spreading the gospel, and that begins to create a network. So anyway, enough of that. But that kind of a, a commission to have a, a disciple-making church in every community around the world is going to require some things. And it's going to require something from all of us in some form or fashion. It may require us to uh, invite new people into the family. It may require us to go some places that, that maybe we're not comfortable with going. I heard somebody this morning talk about suffering. It may require us to suffer sometimes. Um, it's going to require us to invest and risk with new leaders. And it's going to require a lot of things. But um, the reality is that simply bringing, and I heard Mike pray this this morning, it, it's simply about bringing the kingdom of God on the earth as it is in heaven. And if you didn't know this, I have a feeling you do, but if you didn't, Jesus actually taught His disciples to pray that way, didn't He? He said, pray that the Father's will would be done and that His kingdom would come on the earth as it is in heaven. And I, I think with a simple enough mind that says if Jesus actually taught us to pray that way, that might just be a reality that's possible. Like, wouldn't that be wonderful? And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen through the church. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I just, I just want to help us think about some questions about the church. And I was thinking like, oh boy, we're singing this song about I'm going to die and I'm going to fly. Thankfully, Mike brought us back to like, but we're still here. <laughs> and um, yeah, we are going to die and we're going to fly. But in the present, in this life, wow. God, God has some incredible things for us to do. And I just want to talk about that a little bit this morning. And the best way I know to do that is, uh, is start at the beginning. Why the church? Why did God create? Um, why, is, why is maturing and multiplying and making disciples so important? Why is, why is being the church a really big deal? Well, I'm going to start in the beginning, as I said. And this is no offense to Marvin Plank. I told you I was a dairy farmer, I think, in a pretty simple, logical way. So that is not an offense to farmers. I just, that's the way I, I deal with. So we're going to start in the beginning. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if we're going to talk about God creating, then we should probably know a little bit about God and talk a little bit about who God is. And so I'm going to invite you to talk back to me in a very nice way and uh, tell me, we sometimes call these the attributes of God, but what are some things we know about who God is in this character? Just shout them out. God is faithful, holy. Eternal, I miss, keep, keep, all power, omniscient, all knowing, just, merciful, good, love, everywhere, caring, 
All right, well, that gives us a good understanding. So in the beginning, this God that you just described created the heavens and the earth. And I want to suggest to us this morning that, that all those things that you said, the wellspring of all that God is, is love. If God was holy, I don't know if you can be holy without love. Or if God was just without love. Or if He was everywhere without love, God would be a very different God, wouldn't He? The wellspring of all that God is, is love, and every one of us is trusting that truth of who God is. I saw a sign right out across the road when I was taking the walk this morning. What does it say? Anybody ever read your signs along your road? <laughs> On the other side of the road, walking this way, what does it say? That's somewhere too. I saw lots of signs. Yeah, John 3.16 is right across the road. Like, get down here and park at the next intersection and walk this way. You'll see it. <laughs> For God so loved the world. Yes. Jesus paid the price to have all the attributes of God without the foundation that God is love. God would be a very different God. There's actually a, a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that is used over and over and over. It keeps showing up. It's, the word is a said. I'm not a good Hebrew speaker, so but but that word is a is a covenant word and it and it basically means it's often translated God's loving kindness or God's mercy. Um yeah, don't don't you don't you love that word, loving kindness? We get to experience God's loving kindness, this one who created the heavens and the earth. And it it's a it's a covenant language it's God's covenant with his people is based on his has said his loving kindness his mercy what does what does first John 4 7 say everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God whoever does not love does not know God how do we know that because God is God is love verse 9 of first John 4 this is how God showed his love among us he sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Jesus took up our cross. He paid the price for our sin. He went into the grave. Experienced death. Resurrected. Ascended into heaven. And is doing what right now for all of us? interceding for us at the right hand of God. The power source, the driving force for that entire sequence of events, church, I would suggest is the love of God. It's the love of God. And that is really good news. It's good news. The Gospel is good news. Sometimes I think we forget how good of news it is. All right, back to Genesis. In the beginning, God, who is love, created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so, it seems like there's this description. <laughs> if you can describe nothingness, that just happened. There's this chaotic nothingness. There's this, there's this deepness. There's this darkness. 
I don't know how you describe nothingness, but that's kind of what just happened in Genesis 1-2. And it says the Spirit of God was hovering over top of all this chaotic deepness, darkness, nothingness. There's a separation between the Spirit of God. Like, am I, am I reading that right? Is that, is that what it says? Okay, I just, I don't want to get it wrong here. You've got a good pastor, and you've had good pastors, and I know you've been taught well. So, so sometimes I hear people, people ask, why, why would God even create this place, this world? And maybe the last, I don't know, the last few years you've been kind of increasingly asking that. Why? why? What was God thinking? Well, God is love and, and His love needs to be expressed. And love is selflessly interactive. And here in the beginning, the Scripture says that, that there's a separation between the Spirit of God and this, this chaotic nothingness. So God, who is love, He began to create and to bring order and to bring light and bring light to a place, a dark place, where His love could be expressed and, and received and maybe, just maybe understood. Does that make sense to you that, that love needs to be selflessly expressed actually needs to be lived. Does that make sense? We just can't... God's love above everything without any interaction with it. Like, how does that work? So God created and He brought order and He did some, some separating of, of light and darkness and He separated water from the water. In other words, He made the sky. And the dry land and the seas were formed and the plants and the animals and all of their, all their variety... And the imprint of the Creator and His creativity was all over this creation. You know, one of the, I have six grandchildren. What, what's one of the first things I do with them before they could begin to speak a word of English? I'd say, well, remember, I was a dairy farmer. How does a, how does a cow go? And they would say to me, yeah, Marvin knows how a cow goes. <laughs> or you say, you know, what, what's a pig say? And they'd say, I never heard a pig say oink. <laughs> but there's all this variety of sounds and colors and smells and, and, the, and it all reveals the creativity of the Creator. And God looked at it and He saw it and He said, this is all good. This is all good. One of the things that Karen and I love to do if, if we're going to try and get away from everything for a little bit is we love to go to the mountains of the West, you know, the Rockies. I mean, there's some amazing, awe-inspiring views, and there is here too, but you know, it's just different out there. And um, I, just want, I just want to stop for a moment and, and maybe ask you to, to close your eyes, if you're okay with that. You trust your neighbor that's not going to do something to you. And j just imagine the earth, kind of let yourself go to the most beautiful place on the earth that you know of or you've ever been to or you imagine. Now imagine that place without any, without any people, without any infrastructure or houses or roads, just the sheer beauty of nature with, with nothing in it. Got that picture? Now let's look at verse 26. 
of Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, think about that, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God had one more thing to create. And it's here that I believe we begin to get an understanding of the true heart of God. We look at the more detailed account over in chapter 2 of verse 7. It says that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. You know, for a lot of a lot of years, I just kind of read over that. I'm just like, well, that's cool. But but there's an intimacy there that just begins to like boggle my mind. And and I have this picture of God getting down on his knee. Now, those of you who say God doesn't have a knee, we talk about the hands of God, the face of God, and all those things. So for today, God has a knee. But I picture God getting down on his knee, and he begins to take dirt, like he's outside here, and he begins to take dirt, and he begins to tenderly and intimately form it into something that looks just like you. Something that looks just like you. Something that looks just like you. And I, I can just see him like pausing and looking at it and then shaping something a little different and we went from three arms to two or, or whatever. But God, God formed dirt into what looks like us. Now if that's not incredible enough, it says that then God breathed His life into that dirt. And I don't think it was like a tornado or a hurricane. I think I just picture God gently picking up that pile of dirt. And it says He breathed into the nostrils. Breath of God. Like, we should just sit with that for a while. That's incredible. That God would breathe His life into a pile of dirt that was shaped like us. Wow. That's what Genesis 2-7 says. So now man was created in God's image and had the very breath, the very life of God in him. Wouldn't it be fair to say that man was created perfectly in the image of God with the fullness of God in him? Now be careful. I didn't say that man was now God because man was created by God. 
But Genesis 2-7 very clearly says that God formed dirt and breathed His life into the dirt. And the man became a living being. So maybe you're thinking, well, that's really cool, but that's pre-the fall. That's pre-sin. That's pre-the selfishness of man. What does that have to do with me? I'd like to suggest this morning it has everything to do with you. Allow me to give a, a little glimpse of, of where we're going. If you could flip over to Colossians. Chapter 1. And I think we'll start in verse 13. And Paul, is, this, is, this is written to the church. This is plural. This is us. Verse 13, for He, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We just needed to read that verse. It isn't even what I wanted to read, but that's just too powerful not to read. In Him we have the redemption of the forgiveness of sins. Don't ever lose the awe that a holy God forgives sin. Verse 15, and Paul's talking about Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, By Him, by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Verse 17, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in Him, in Jesus, all things hold together. And He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, and He, Jesus, is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, He, Jesus, might have the supremacy. Verse 19, now this is really good. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness, God's fullness, Dwell in Him, dwell in Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile to Himself, to God, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. God is going to reconcile all things to Himself through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. The fullness of God is in Jesus. That's what it says. The fullness of God is in Jesus. Now let's jump over to verse 25. Paul goes on to talk about the church. He says, I have become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. Wow, a mystery that has been kept hidden for a long, long time, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, to the saints, to the church, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you is the hope of glory. If there's going to be dignity and honor and praise and worship on the earth, it's going to come through the church. The fullness of God is in Jesus and Jesus in the church is the hope of glory. 
Amen. Let's jump on over to uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Paul goes on, he says, See to it, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Verse 9 is pretty incredible. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given, talking to the church, have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. The fullness of God is in Jesus, and the fullness of Jesus is in the church. And we should all say, wow! It reminds me of Romans 8 when it, when it says that all of creation is longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It's like all of creation is standing on its tippy toes. Why? Because when the sons and daughters of God are revealed, it begins to change things. It begins to impact all of creation. The fullness of God is in Jesus and the fullness of Jesus is in the church. And who's the church? Yeah, wow. Gotta be able to go live on that for a week. Or maybe till you die and fly. <laughs> oh, wow. So because God is love, men and women, humanity, Created in God's image, in God's likeness, full of the very breath of God, were created to love. Let me say that again. Humanity was created to love as God's image bearers. Full of the, the very breath of God. Created in His likeness, we were created to love. But more than that, God is love. God is love, and if the fullness of God is in Jesus and the fullness of Jesus is in the church, then we actually are love. That makes sense? So, don't go home today and, and talk about, well, the preacher said that we, I need to love more. You can't do that. You can be love, because God is love, and the fullness of God is in Jesus, and the fullness of Jesus is in the church. We don't do love, we are love. We still doing okay? Okay. I won't leave yet. I know lunch is coming. Let's go back to Genesis. Verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Then something else happened. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every other living creature that moves on the ground. God blessed them. He, he didn't curse that man and woman. A curse puts a, a weight and a, and a bondage. But He blessed them. He released them. He released them to what? What did God bless that first man and woman to do, Adam and Eve? To be fruitful and to multiply and, and 
increase in number. Man and woman in their perfect state before sin, before the fall, were designed and created by God and blessed by God to do what? To multiply the image of God on the earth and fill the whole earth with the glory and the love of God. The purpose of God breathing His life and image into humanity was so that God's image and likeness would be multiplied on the earth. You remember that picture that you had of a creation with no infrastructure, no people? God's plan to fill that beautiful new world He created with with His likeness and image and glory and love was to breathe His life into two people and bless them to fill the entire creation with Himself. Can you dream that big? Can you vision that big? That two people could multiply and fill the empty earth with the glory of God? Like, am I, am I tracking? I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure I'm on theologically sound ground here. Well, well God's big dream, His big vision, as we all know, was messed up right from the start. Right from the get-go with these two people. But, but remember Colossians 1 and 2. God didn't give up on His plan to fill the earth with His glory because He actually came to the earth. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He didn't let us out here in this mess by ourselves. He came to us. We always have to acknowledge the fall. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? And he, the man, answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And then God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I was just asking a simple yes or no question. And the man said in verse 12, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So what died? I mean, he said, if you eat from this, you're going to die. But now Adam's having a conversation with God, so obviously he's not dead. So what died? 
We often say, well, he died spiritually, but what does that even mean? Could I, could I suggest that what died was everything that Adam was created to be? Adam and Eve were created with the fullness of God. Humanity was created with the identity and the purpose to fill the whole earth with the glory and love of God, to be fruitful and multiply God's image that they were created in. They were created to love selflessly, to be loved. But now they took on the nature of Satan, the enemy of God. They still loved. Oh, they really loved. But it was a love of self, a selfish way of living, a, a self-preservation way of living. God, or Adam wouldn't even give an answer to a yes or no question when God said, did you eat from the tree? And he really loved himself because all of a sudden he was so self-focused he realized he didn't have anything on. He had no covering. And then he kind of did what? He, he hauled around and through his new, beautiful, big leaf-covered wife right under the bus. In other words, he chose to become a victim and begin to blame. He wouldn't even give God direct answers. The fullness of God, the perfect love of God, the image of God imprinted in humanity had now become selfish. That's not the kind of God or the kind of love that we were created with, with the fullness of God. Have you ever stopped to think about how many things even good things come from a selfish motive that was so totally unthought of before the fall. Like, what about if I surrender to Jesus, I won't die? Or if I obey God's commands, then things will go well with me. There's a hint of selfishness there, isn't there? You hear it? That, that was totally foreign before the fall. Or how about, uh, you know, if I just do this for my wife, I'll have a happy life? Kind of selfish. Or what about, well, I really like when we do it this way or that way when we gather as the body of Christ and Pretty sure my way is the best way or the right way. Like, there's a selfishness that is in us that we can't deny. Romans 5 says that sin entered the world through one man, this Adam we've been talking about, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men, all men, because all sinned. So, what died? Yes, we'll die physically someday, but we were born loving ourselves. We were even taught to love ourselves by all the other selfish people around us. We were born incapable of living out our intended design of filling the whole earth with the glory and the love of God. Sometimes Karen and I like to have our whole family over, our children and their spouses and our six grandchildren. And... Um, we all sit around the big table, and I get to sit at the head because I'm Grandpa. And I just look around that table, and I think, man, I am the best Grandpa ever. 
And pretty soon the kids all scatter and they're off playing games and whatever. And you know what happens. Pretty soon someone gets offended and there's some eruption. I begin to think, oh, I'm not such a good grandpa after all. In fact, a lot of what they're doing, they probably learned off of me. We, we were born that way. We, we, we lost our intended design. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship created, I like to say recreated in Christ Jesus to do the things that God prepared in advance for us to do. In Jesus, we are recreated to do the things that God had prepared in advance for us to do, which was what? Be loved. Fill the whole earth with the glory and the image of God, with dignity and honor and worship and praise. What we were created for. And in Jesus, we are recreated to do those things. We're actually recreated. We become human again as we were originally created for. Just look at what happens when people live life apart from being submitted to the indwelling Spirit of Jesus. We're anything but human, aren't we? There's sexual immorality, there's gossip and hatred and malice and slander and all those things. That's not what we were created for. But when we're submitted to the indwelling Spirit of Jesus... There's what? There's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's kindness. All those fruits of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, are you starting to get just a glimpse of why it was so important? Why it mattered so much for Jesus to pay the price on the cross to recreate us. To recreate humanity. He he paid the price to restore us to be His image bearers and fill the whole earth with His glory and His likeness. He paid the price that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, He paid the price for our sins on the cross. Yes, He paid the price so that we could die and fly. Looking forward to that actually. But it was for so much more that Jesus paid the price. He paid the price so that we could be restored image bearers here and now, right now, and fill the whole earth with the glory and the love, the fullness and the wisdom of God. And that understanding has to be foundational or the basis to every relationship, every connection that we have. I'm about done. I know that nobody has to drive home for lunch. So give me a second. So maybe, maybe you've been thinking that, well, all sounds good, but you've been overemphasizing the love of God a little bit, filling the whole earth with the glory and love of God. But, but in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking to His disciples about the ends of the age and all these signs of the ends of the age. And then this is what He says kind of wraps that whole section up by saying this. He says, Many will turn from faith and hate each other, and love will grow cold. 
You want to see the sign of the end of the age? That's what Jesus said. Many will turn from faith and begin to hate each other, and love will grow cold. In other words, people will live apart from what they were recreated in Jesus to be and to do. And then I begin to live out of fear and reaction to what other people do to me rather than what Jesus has done for me. Let me say that again. When we live out from under what Jesus recreated us to do by going to the cross, pouring His Spirit into us, we, when we begin to live out of fear and reaction to what other people do to me rather than what Jesus has done for me, I will guarantee you from my own life and experience that nothing good happens. Nothing good will happen. Living as restored image bearers through Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, the breath and life of God, loving God, loving each other, and loving your neighbor is foundational to being the church. It's foundational to being human as we were created. You may remember that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about that veil of the Old Covenant, the law of Moses that keeps people from seeing clearly. Paul states, only in Christ is that veil taken away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness which, with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The hope of glory on the earth is in the church, in you. Church, we are love. And as we live each day recreated in Christ and full of His Spirit, we will see the love of God revealed through God's people, the church, and it will change a lot of things. It will change for us what we maybe post or repost on social media. It will change for us how we respond to someone with different political views. Whether I'm from a blue state or a red state. It'll change how I treat my wife or my children, each other in the body of Christ, my neighbor. The body of Christ will be unified in one purpose, representing the glory and love and the likeness of image, the image of God, the one who recreated us, poured out his spirit on us to be his church, his body. His bride. Christ in you is the hope of glory. In Christ we are a new creation. The old is where? And the new has come. In Christ we bear the image of our Creator. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You this morning for Your body, for the church, for those who have entrusted themselves to You. Lord, you, you say that when someone entrusts themselves to You, You pour out Your Spirit in them.
and Your Spirit begins to bring out new fruits in us that represent You. Lord, I pray for this congregation of people here, this, this family, this community of believers, Lord, that as they continue to submit to You and hold on to faith and hold on to love, live in Your fullness, they would continue to, to change this community to bring Your glory, to bring Your honor and dignity and praise and worship to the surrounding area. Lord, when Your people live that way, people who are not yet a people begin to follow You. Our world is longing for the church to be the church. I pray Your encouragement and blessing over this congregation here at Turkey Run, Lord. God, just continue to to move in them and grow them and strengthen their faith and and their trust in You and their love for each other and their love for their neighbor. Give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.